Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome back to That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. In this episode, I'm chatting to Paul Darcy. Paul has worked for brands like Apple, Message One, Dell, Indeed, and now Miro, where he is CMO. Paul talks about his journey to becoming a CMO and how getting into campaign marketing made him realize what he loved about marketing. We chat about how Paul thinks about building out marketing teams, about attention and ways to ensure your brand can get it, his focus on understanding the problem and letting the data tell the story, and a great insight into the importance of your CEO and CFO relationship when looking to invest in brand building. Paul, thanks a million for, for joining me today. Great to great to have you on. That's what I call marketing. It's great to be here, Connor. Great to, to see you and hear you. Um, well, I know a bit about your, your path, but for somebody listening who, who doesn't know, can you tell me a bit about your path to becoming CEO of Miro? So um, I've been around marketing for a long time. I'm old. And so I think that's one, one starting point. Um, I've been doing marketing at this point for like it's more than 25 years. Uh, and so um, I, uh, I mean, I, I started actually doing product management uh, early on in my career. Um, I worked a little bit at Apple and did consumer work and then was in um, a bunch of, of, of startups that went pretty much nowhere uh, during kind of the dot-com bus day. And uh, it wasn't really that long after that I was in a product management role and um, uh, and, and I got asked to do some, some marketing work that was more campaign-like. And I really loved doing it. It was basic like email marketing campaigns. Right. And um, it, it changed my perspective. And so I took a role doing more just straightforward B2B enterprise marketing for a software company and um, got attention of some people at another company. And they gave me uh, had a marketing role pretty early in my career for a small company, you know, as a, a company of fewer than 50 people at the time. But we did some really cool stuff. And so that was my path early on to become a CMO. And then um, that, that now is, is close to 20 years ago. So it's been a while. Um, over that 20 years, um, that company grew and became a lot bigger. Um, we were acquired uh, by a big company and I got put into um, a much bigger role there, managing a couple hundred people um, and marketing for 40 countries. And then I left that to start my own business and was lucky to get recruited for the Indeed role to be the CMO and to lead marketing for Indeed when that was also a really big business, yeah. a little, little business. And we, we grew that, I mean, enormously from a few hundred people to 11,000 when I left and then moved on to really kind of start the cycle again at a smaller business to get closer yeah. to the marketing work. Um, and joined Miro a year and a half ago. So that's a little bit about my journey. I mean, um, I, I was really lucky, I think, to um, to move into a, a senior role really early in my career. Um, and then I've, I've had a lot of luck in getting some really amazing opportunities um, at the right time um, over the last, you know, decade. It's incredible, you know, because you've had a lot of experience kind of in, I guess, startup scaling, building teams. It's interesting to hear you say that, you know, now, and I, of course, I remember, and indeed, it wasn't a small marketing team, but it was compared to wh- where it was when you left, like you scaled that that team massively. How do you think about how you build and structure a marketing team? It's it's, it's quite a complex. There's lots of different ways, I guess, you can go about it. Yeah. And, and it is 
So I, I think about a couple of things. I mean, I think that that marketing is um, it, it's it's like this um, like army of experts who have a really different mix of of deep deep skills, but that are highly varied. Like you know. In the marketing team at Miro or at Indeed, it's like we've got people who are incredibly deep technical experts in SEO and writers and people who do internal communications and are expert in employee comms. Uh, and then people who do demand gen type work or brand work or who are copywriters or, or you know, creative people. I've got a significant video team and motion graphics team at Miro. And so it's a really wide variety of skills and capabilities. And so um, I, I think... Like one of the first things is when when I start to build is just bringing in great people um, who have deep expertise in the areas that we need to know things and be uh, really good at, and and that really is the starting point. And then being really clear on the strategy, like our model of marketing and and the impact that we want to have and how we're going to have it, and then you know resourcing teams to to be able to do that. But th- that for me is a starting point. It's probably different in different businesses, but for me, it's always tends to start with with functional expertise. And then once you get up to a certain level, it's then how do you really kind of integrate that across teams and functions? And that becomes kind of the next level of the challenge. Yeah, because that gets kind of into, I guess, complexity, right, then as well, because you have those expertise and then how do you pull things together as, as a team grows? It's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not straightforward. It's, and it's I think it's so different too for every business. Like, you know, I, I mean, I think one of my like learnings as a marketer is that every business's marketing problems are really different and what marketing needs to look like and what you need to build is really, really different. I certainly have seen that from, you know, Miro to, to Indeed and that change. So um, yeah, and, and it's, it's always, it's ever changing, especially in fast growing businesses um, where, where it's just maybe a completely different organization instead of business challenges every nine months. Yes, yeah, and that's hard to hire in front of, I, I guess, in some ways, because you may not necessarily know what's what's to come, and then it's like, never know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. True. What, what do we need now? Um, in building the, the the teams that you've built, and and you 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 think about culture, and I know this from from what are those kind of cultural beliefs that you think are really important in a marketing team. I think there's a few things. I mean, I think that first of all, the, um, I mean, I think just in general, like leading people, like to me is, has always felt like a really enormous responsibility. Um, and, you know, you want to create an environment that's like meaningful in people's lives and where they can be set up for success um, and have real impact. But always this is happening in a context of like chaos in the world, the organization, what other people are doing. And and that chaos is always like exponentially higher and fast growing businesses. And so um, I I think for me, like... um, And and, and like right now in the world, it's it's even, even higher because of that. And, you know, also in a world where we're often interacting remotely, where culture is really hard. I mean, I, th- I think for me, like, um, there's a few things. One, culture starts with hiring the right people, and in particular, the right leaders. Um, and that's something that at different points in my career I've gotten for sure right and wrong. Um, but hiring someone with really strong leadership skills um, is really, really key. 
like for sure we need to figure out what we stand for and a type of marketing organization we want to be. And, you know, I, I get a lot of influence in that in leading marketing and hiring people. Um, and then also in, in how we communicate and what we reward in organizations. Um, you know, I, I think for me, it's um, have, have always wanted to have teams that have ownership and kind of autonomy um, so that they can solve clear problems. Um, I do really um, b- believe in kind of data and, and metrics as being a, a, an incredibly liberating thing for, for people in that um, subjective opinion it tends not to be fair and equitable and create equal opportunity across organizations and teams and in culture, um, you know, having clarity around what we're trying to move and drive and aligning work to that, I think is really valuable. Uh, and then I do, you know, how people treat each other is really important to me. I, I want to work in an environment where, where people are kind and collaborative and supportive and helpful and able to solve problems together and view each other as like partners in doing things and not competitive in the way we do things across like all teams and functions. And so, you know, that I think culturally is really important to me. Um, but it's also like a living, breathing thing. I think the last two years have shown that, um, you know, there's, 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 there's never like one moment of like, here's the culture and yeah. here's how it is. It is a growing, evolving thing, especially as organizations change. And, you know, the context has changed so dramatically with remote work. And I think just living through the stresses and pains of a pandemic um, people are just stressed out and things are hard and they're missing a connection that's needed. And so it requires a lot of, I don't know, new ways of thinking about, about culture and, and how we connect people and support them in, in, in coming to work and being able to be themselves and to do amazing, amazing things and be part of, you know, a bigger team, you know, trying to drive a business forward. Yeah. And it, and it's also difficult, you know, when it's a, a global organization, you know, last year, the Australian India team started you know, reporting to me and, and we at the time had a very close knit connection between me and Latam time zones were easier. And then, you know, how do we make everyone feel part of, of one team? How do you think about that? Because you're, you've a global team again. Yeah. 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 Most I, I'm here in Austin, Texas, and, and most of our marketing team is in Amsterdam. Austin's our, our second biggest site. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, for sure the case. And then, you know, indeed I've had people across 22 offices and, you know, a lot of countries. Uh, I mean, the, uh, first of all, I think it's the, one of the, my favorite things is working with global teams. I just love the, um, being able to work with, you know, kind of the variety and diversity of people to, um, think about different cultures and countries and the context and how to effectively communicate in different markets. And that's a lot of, of fun. Um, you know, at Miro, our first 500 employees had 50 nationalities. And so we have like, incredible diversity across that, that front, um, in terms of our global populations. Uh, but it is also, I mean, I think the toughest thing right now, like the, the cultural stuff, I think if the organization is the right kind of organization and focuses on that, um, often comes easier. There, there's some balancing of that and you need to, I think, have um, just real openness and tolerance for difference. Like people communicate in really different ways across yeah. different parts of the world. And so, you know, sometimes that gets misinterpreted. Uh you know, I see, I see that um, in, in teams today, but, but, 
but I, I think, for, I mean, for me, like the hardest thing is just simply time zones. And, yeah. and you know, it's not even distance anymore. It maybe used to be distance, but it's, it is just, uh, there's so little time that you get to spend where you can bring people together all across the world. Yeah. Um, and so you wind up having to break groups into pieces. Um, you know, I try to organize teams now so that they really are as contained in time zones as possible. So okay. like we do things in Amsterdam and they're different than the things we do in Austin. And for the most part, people in Amsterdam work with Amsterdam and people in Austin work with Austin. And we try to do that and set that up as much as possible. I mean, we also have people in San Francisco and LA and New York and London and Munich and Sydney and Tokyo and other places, even at yeah. Euro, an enormous company, but in, in marketing. And so, but, but yeah, trying to make sure that we limit that time zone um, overlap is, is, a, is tough, but I mean, I just got out of a, a meeting where I had, you know, we had someone in California on at 6am their time and then yeah. people in, you know, Israel or Europe on really late in their day. And um, you know, that's, that's the, the hard thing about global collaboration. Yeah. And it's being mindful of it as well. I think, you know, it's like, it's not that it's the expectation because you're in that time zone that you're, you know, punished you know, it's not your, you know it's, yeah. you live there so it's not uh, it's not your fault um i you i'd love to hear paul about some of the kind of marking beliefs that you hold firm so some of the things you're really strong on in terms of your beliefs about how how you should approach marketing or how, how your team should approach marketing yeah um I think one belief is that every business has different marketing problems um and that one thing that worked at one company doesn't automatically work at the next. It, it probably doesn't, or it needs to be evolved and changed for the context of that business. I think that's a really important thing. It's one of the things that makes marketing so so fun um, is that you really do get to solve those unique problems. I mean, I think that um, like one. I think one marketing belief that I hold strongly is that um, you're you're you live in a world of very little attention for what you do. And we all have a bias to think that our business is, is probably bigger and more important than it really is. And that people think about it more than they do. And just always remembering that, that, you know, most people know very little about the business is, is a, is a key starting point. Like I like to look at, I mean, as a marketer, I like to look at there's there's like a um, an infographic of the largest um, SaaS companies that sell to marketers, and there's I think seven thousand companies now on that list. I can't name you know six thousand nine hundred and fifty of those or even recognize them. And all of them have uh, this workforce of I'm sure great employees are doing amazing things and building amazing things and think that their stuff is well known in the world and they all have customers and other things. But there's just too many businesses competing for attention. And so that, that leads, I think, to a couple of things. One is that um, it's really important to be clear on messaging and communications and to really always speak to non-users um, of whatever business that you have. And, and that communication challenges need to be thought of first as really simple. A lot of people spend time on differentiation or um, on uh, like trying to position, but like the starting point for communications is, you know, what is this thing called? What does it look like? What is, what is like the basics of when you should think about it and, and how you use it? And just getting kind of those basics of communication and distinctiveness and salience, right? And then like scaling 
can communications consistently, I think is a really important part of growing um, a business and marketing. Like the starting point is communication and those basics um, uh, are really important. And so, you know, part of that then comes to a real strong belief in, in, in brand building yeah. um, and being able to just systematically drive memory. I do believe that, you know, the things that win in the world tend to be strong brands uh, and, uh, and, you know, building a brand is a really, really important part of building a business and that, you know, there's way too many businesses out there whose growth is limited by the fact that almost nobody knows who they are beyond their user base. Yeah. And, and building strong brands is like, there's lots of evidence that is exactly what you should be doing, but it's, it's a hard thing. And, you know, clearly it's probably, it's a role of a CMO to, to, be talking to the CEO and the board about this, but it is like, it's such a long-term investment. Like it's not something we, you can switch on and off. How, I guess, you know, what recommendations do you have for people to how to approach that? Cause it is a difficult conversation to have. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is a, um, it's the hardest conversation. I, I mean, I guess for marketers like the, um, I think you have to start with like a objective view of the business and strategic problems that an organization faces or is going to face. Um, and, you know, a lack of awareness is if, if, if that's part of it, it's, it doesn't matter for every business. You know, if you're, uh, you know, selling some, if you're selling airplanes, you know, there's only so many competitors you have and only so many customers that are out there. And I don't know how important brand building is. Maybe it is because, you know, um, people may not want to get on one plane or another might prefer it and those become advantages. Uh, but, but I, I, I do think that um, like in terms of how you make the case, it starts with that strategic rationale. Like, like, first of all, like what problem are we trying to solve? Um, and, you know, the, the thing that, that I think about a lot is, I mean, I, I think we're in a world where, where, where people think that anything that is easily measured is better than things that aren't easily measured. And, um, and I kind of flip that basic idea on its head, like things that have a really clear, clear price, um, you know, a Google search ad, like those, like the people who win on that either have the highest, kind of ability to spend or are the least sophisticated. Um, and you pay the price of, of either of those two. Um, and, and really most of the arbitrage value of marketing, I believe is in the things that are really hard to measure. And um, you need to be able to run experiments and get a signal on those things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's a fair amount of kind of discussion, education and risk that comes in that. Uh, and for most organizations, it's a lot easier to just do basic performance marketing and direct response type stuff. But all of the research is really clear that that's a suboptimal outcome. Yeah, yeah. And it's because I guess the the performance stuff is just, yeah, it's easier on a, not even a quarterly, a weekly basis to kind of report on it and say, we did this, we saw that. And it's... It's and, short term, and, and it's short term, and it's uh, and it's 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 a low risk conversation with a CEO and a CFO, and I think that there too, it's like different businesses are managed on different timeframes. You know, I think with Miro and with Indeed, um, you know, both had have really big ambitions to become kind of generational businesses and to really change the world in powerful ways, and so uh, you know, 
in that, you know, building a brand and awareness and being thought of at the right time is just essential to the business's kind of long-term ambitions. And are there conversations about kind of brand equity appearing on the balance sheet or anything? You know, is that kind of an important part of it, getting into that level of CFO detail or? I, it hasn't been for me. Right. I think that, um, you know, the, I, I mean, I think for most businesses, like there is like a sh- set of strategic objectives of where you want this business to sit in the world long term. Um, and then there's kind of an operational plan on like, you know, what do things look like for the next few years in terms of revenue or users or costs or profitability or market penetration or whatever it might be. And I think that, you know, brand investment sits between those two things and serves both of those. Um you know, there are businesses that value that brand asset and put it on a balance sheet. But when 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 dollars get tight, you still got to figure out where you're investing and building a brand asset on a balance sheet isn't a strong enough reason. And so I think it has to fall to one or the other two. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, interesting. You you talked a, a bit at the start about data and analytics, and you know I'd love to kind of know because you're from what I know of you quite a creative person. You have that you know. Um, you you do love the creative side, but you, you also do love the analytics side. How how do those two things live together? Because sometimes they seem like they're potentially polar opposites. Yeah, um, I, I boy, it's so I mean, I think it, for me, it's such a personal thing. I, I you know, I've always loved math, and then I used to be a, I worked early on as a professional photographer in my career, and so I've had both of those sides, and really do enjoy that. Um, I mean, I think marketing at scale, first of all, um, uh, like, I guess there's a lot of, I, I know a lot of CMOs and people approach it in really different ways and not all of them are as, as math driven or technical probably as, as, as I am. I think there are a lot of people who are able to powerfully like lead with ideas and raise the profile of their brand in the world and use that to drive the business. And so there's probably a lot of ways of doing it. I think for me, um, you know, I do view a lot of marketing as building a bunch of machines that work together towards objectives and trying to build those in a way that really scale impact and are predictable in how they drive the business. Um, and so like that is, I think, a fundamental starting point for me in, in, in design of marketing and thinking about marketing. And then, um, and like one of those machines might be SEO. One of those machines might be paid search. One of those might be, um, doing direct mail. One of those is for sure brand building. Um, one of those might be a set of community programs that you know really support your business. Um, you know, it can be a wide variety of things. One of those might be a set of economists that um, you know drive a lot of press and interest around the world and help you get in the, into you know the front page of the newspaper. Um, the but it, it is is really varied. Like creativity for me, I think. I think about it on a couple levels. I mean, I think first of all, in a world of no attention, like creativity is like the thing that cuts through and it's just so powerful. Um, everything looks the same. It is amazing in the world of B2B software, like yeah. where I am today, how everything looks the same. Um, and so it really does take creativity um, to you know communicate and, and rise above that and to get people's attention and to 
to help people really understand the role that you play. And so it is, it's such a powerful driver of business growth. And so that makes to me is really, is really key. Yeah. It's um, yeah. I look, I, I think creativity is, is, is phenomenal in, in terms of like distinctiveness, I think, and being able to, as you say, cut through. And I mean, there's lots of, as you know, the work from Karen Nelson field around, you know, available attention. It's just like, I mean, people aren't there's so much there's just so much happening it's hard to pay attention so making sure that your brand is turning up in those moments even if it's the three seconds that people are paying attention now that's hard because i think on a creative side then people are like oh don't ruin it you know <laughs> don't ruin the ad no. by putting the logo there it's like well if i don't nobody knows who it's for <laughs> it'll be it'll be like great ad nobody knew about <laughs> I think, too, one of the things about creativity is, well, I mean, I think, first of all, just like there's infinite role of creativity in marketing, like very tactically, like when you look at creativity in advertising, like, I mean, you need to trigger an emotion and, and people watching ads are not interested in having an emotion triggered. And so you have to either have some element of surprise or connection that's unexpected and it takes creativity to do that. But even outside advertising, I mean, if you'd look at some great brands like, um, you know, you look at Red Bull and, you know, if you're starting, you know, with, I don't even know what's in that can, um, but a, a bunch of, a bunch of chemicals uh, and trying to sell that to, 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 to people to wake up a little bit, like, you know, they're, they're the world that they've built around kind of content um, and like spectacle is just absolutely remarkable. I think one of the best examples of taking creativity to do great marketing. So it, it does sit at all different levels. Yeah. And they've been consistent, you know, I mean, the yeah. Red Bull give you in campaigns, but also consistency about how they approach sport, mm-hmm. you know, from the racing on the street to the sky, the high dive to the sky dive. It's all extreme because it gives you, gives you that energy. It's amazing. And it's, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things you we often see is, you know, CMO comes in to a role and decides, oh, we change everything. And, you know, brand like Red Bull is a great example of that was never the thing to do. They've been consistent and, you know, it's really important to have that consistency over time. Yeah. And to... Um... And to just really understand what, what sits in people's heads and what you can build on, right? It's, it's how do you take yeah. the assets that exist and really strengthen them and, and bet on them in a focused set of ways, whether that's, you know, an identity or a tagline or an approach or a campaign or a way that you show up in the world, whatever it might be. But yeah, um, the more change that happens, the you know, the more you're starting over and building that memory. Yeah, exactly. And even understanding those kind of category entry points and, you know, like where the the moments of people are, start, are, are at least even starting to maybe think about you, you know, understanding yeah. that and building on that. Um, I'd love to talk a bit about some of the, the work you've done through your career. Um, you know, you've obviously worked across a ton of different organizations, brands, but some of the work that you've enjoyed the most, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, and Ad, we've talked a bit about branding and advertising, but just some of the work you've kind of gone. I really, I really enjoyed the fact that we did that and felt, you know, felt successful or impactful or scalable. Yeah. I would say that um, there's been a number of waves of this. I mean, I think the thing that that for me tends to be most interesting is when I get to do something that feels really new and different and um, and is is a is a big bet that's that's unique. Um, I mean, really early in my career, um, 
when I was CMO at a company called Message One, it was one of the first hundred SaaS companies. Uh, you know, we, you know, I was very lucky to have a role that was mostly demand gen. And it was like right at the beginning of Salesforce and CRM. I spent a fair amount of time like administering Salesforce myself as part of that, like, you know, creating the layouts for all of our teams and doing other things. But like it was, you know, my first experiment with running like a lot of campaigns that were completely measured based on, you know, direct response performance. And we got really good at that and drove an incredible business out of that. Uh, and I learned so much doing all of that marketing and being so close to it. It was a small team. And so that was, that, that for me was a really amazing, fun experience of just doing marketing. It's like testing different messages, approaches, like, and, and seeing impact is incredibly rewarding. Uh, like I think then later on at, um, indeed, I mean, I think there were so many things that were interesting there. Uh, like brand building definitely is a really important part of the story of the time at Indeed and doing it globally, like the work in um, some of the crazy campaigns in Japan, and Man, yeah, yeah. trying global things that weren't as effective to really getting um, the Japan stuff right and doing the same thing in, in Germany um, with local agencies and campaigns, trying to figure out where we could run things uh, globally. Um, but a pretty broad range of experimentation that, you know, helped turn indeed from a, a very low awareness consideration brand into something that's universally known and used yeah. uh, in a way that we never thought possible early on. And, and it was a ton of fun and a ton of learning um, and an amazing journey there. Um, you know, like, it, so, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty varied set of things, but, but, but that tends to be it. Like, you know, when I was, there's also, I think, been for me journeys too in, in really building and growing teams. I mean, yeah. at Indeed went from 30 people to the better part of 500 people in marketing yeah. and uh, so much change and so much learning and so many things that you get wrong in that. But, um, but so great. I think at Indeed, other examples, I think building the hiring lab is something that yeah. um, was really proud of. Like we, um, you know, uh, uh, when had kind of prominent chief economists uh, and built a really strong team of economists and, and people around the world and, and taking that from um, being an idea to something that just is everywhere in the news all the time and so credible and, and actually serving the world in such a powerful way mm. was something that um, was, I think, really uh, a highlight. I think also some of the, you know, the social impact work that, yeah. that we did and building that function at Indeed and, um, you know, being able to really focus on, um, you know, uh, you know, candidates with barriers looking for employment like that, that's, that's powerful as well. So yeah, a lot, there's quite a few highlights out there. Yeah. And it's interesting those, you know, I, I think having, having those ideas and you talked a bit about you know, experiments and the importance of experimenting. And of course, you you, you set up a, a whole team to try experiment things, which I was lucky enough to be part of and yeah. um, a whole permission to fail, which was phenomenal. But it was, you know, you, you have, the, how do you, I suppose, structure those ideas? Because, you know, I think anybody, you know, can have a thousand ideas, this, 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 you know, what's the next shiny ball? You're not like that. So how do you kind of 
focus in on an idea that you believe is worth experimenting with? Yeah, I, I, so it's a great, it's a, it's a great question. It's interesting too, like, so what you're referring to, uh, obviously, is like that we had a campaign lab yeah. for a while at Indeed. And the campaign lab was a particular reaction to, to, to kind of that other belief of like, how do we do as few things as possible at scale? And we were pretty successful at creating a few things in marketing that scaled to incredibly significant levels of impact. And when you do that, the, the problem you get is that sometimes innovation stops because everything else you try just seems insignificant compared to the things that are working. And it's a lovely problem to have. And so what we did then was create kind of a separate group that was just focused on trying to find new things to scale. Um, and that actually was, was one of the major drivers of the brand building that we did over the following years, uh, as well as improvements in a lot of the performance marketing things that we did in particular on non-digital channels. And so it was that, you know, for me, experimentation is, is, it is the way that you solve problems. It's like, you know, you can have a hypothesis and see opportunities. Um, maybe you see the opportunity first, and then you need to come up with a bunch of hypotheses. And then the experiments are the way you, whether you prove whether they're right or wrong, or try to like make progress at um, at getting there. Like we, I would say that there was was five or six years really of experimentation on brand communications. Um, and it was a, a, a long, difficult evolution where we had some things that were r- right yeah. and where we, you know, hit it incredibly strong. A lot of the work in Germany is a great example of that. And some yeah. things where we just didn't get and, you know, we moved on and tried the next set of ideas or concepts. And we did a mix of this in testing and a mix of this at bigger scale. But it is a, yeah, those things are hard, are hard journeys. Like for me, experimentation is, um, is the path to solving problems. And I think to it, like this also fits with, kind of questions around creativity. I think like the path to greatness is often to try a lot of different ideas um, and, you know, to fail fast on those, Um, you know, so, cause, cause it, it does take um, uh, trying a lot of different things to, you know, to get to something that's exceptional. Yeah. And I think going back to even the the piece about culture, you know, having that culture of, I know people talk about, oh, we have a culture of failing, but actually oftentimes they don't because when they go and say, well, we, we, we thought we'd do this, we were, we, ha- we haven't succeeded. Here's what we've learned. Here's some decisions we're going to make. Uh, it can be punitive. And I remember we had a conversation with, with you, Paul, about a test we were trying to do in Amsterdam. And, you know, we were, we were all like, oh God, we just tell them this isn't working, you know, and you were like after three or four minutes. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. You know, I, I, I get it. You, you did this. It didn't work. What's next. And it was that, I think that culture, uh, going back to that point is really important. It's probably just, I think it's in you. You may not even know it. <laughs> uh, it is. Um, and like, I don't look back at the early days of that campaign lab and think I, I wasn't worried like, uh, but it was, like everything failed. (laughs) It's like, it's like people are okay with things failing like once or twice. It's like, what do you do when 10 things in a row fail? Um, But, but there, it really was a path to learning and growth that was really significant. And I, I didn't know at the time if anything would, (laughs) would um, succeed. And and there's maybe a, like, you know, I, I, for sure we thought about, okay, if, if nothing ever does, what are we doing wrong? Like there's a step back and like, let's look at the meta issues that are leading to this. But, but eventually we found past the success and, and had real impact. And 
it, yeah, I think that that having a culture of failure means that you're ready to to support people through a lot of experimentation and failure. And boy, that that is failing ten times in a row in a lab environment fast is such a better op- alternative than failing ten times in a row in the real world yeah. over five years. Um, you know, it's like we got that over in a quarter or so, oh, and yeah. then we're able to, to take that learning and to do great things. And so it is so obvious, but yeah, it's um, not always easy. It's not, yeah, I think it isn't easy. It requires a, a bravery to, as you sit with it and kind of go, okay, there will come a point where I have to look at this more deeply, but I'm okay with the, and I, I'm sorry, I think the other point is that you, there's maybe confidence that, you know, the right decisions are being made, like people are being responsible. And again, I think that, that was all, that's always part of the yeah. culture. And I think it's a combination, like their trust in the people yeah. is really important. Um, and then like we had really good alignment and communication. Like we were looking at the list of experiments. Like it wasn't just like we did this and it failed. We were talking about the things that we could try and they seemed like the right things to do. And then it was a good shot at doing those things. And so we kept learning and moving on. And I guess while we're on this topic, when you kind of reflect on some of the points in your career where things maybe haven't gone as planned, are are there any of those kind of big learnings? You've touched on a few, but any big learnings that you've had that you're kind of going, okay, I... I've, I've taken that to do something differently now as I, I create this new marketing org. I mean, I would say that, I don't know, every day is a learning and things <laughs> not going right. Like it is a, I mean, working with people at scale to solve hard, complex, ambiguous problems in a fast changing world of chaos. Um, uh, it's amazing that anything ever goes right, but but I, I, when I look back, I mean, I think that one thing that I see and really believe is that it's really important of the right leaders um, and that um, having strong senior people and high expectations for them is incredibly important, as well as people that people want to work with um, and that are inspiring and set the right examples and build the right culture that it takes so much work to fix those problems if you get that wrong. And, you know, I've made plenty of mistakes of having the wrong people in roles or having them there too long. And I think that that's probably like my strongest area of learning. And also when you get the right people in, like the amount that I learn from them and that the organization learns from them is just absolutely incredible and transformative. And so trying to find as many of those people as you can. And they're not always like, you know, I've also over the last decade have worked for organizations that have been really non-traditional in a lot of ways. Like, you know, none of the companies I've, I mean, the last Silicon Valley company I worked for was Apple in the nineties. It's been a long time. And so, you know, like a lot of the leadership teams I've worked with have come from elsewhere. They've been, you know, distributed in the U S or, you know, in the case of Miro globally. And I actually really love that. And, do believe that talent is everywhere and um, am also really willing to bet on incredible people who bring something really unique, but that is maybe different from the normal profile that people would put into place in, in a, a parallel company or organization and yeah. have a lot of success from that. So I have a lot of belief in, in what people can do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, and I think, you know, to that point surrounding yourself with people who don't have just the same view as you often is kind of, you know, you need that. For sure 
tension, I guess, healthy, you know, tension, but I think it's really important. Yeah. And people that know a lot more than me. Um, It is so important. Um, And yeah, I mean, I want to be continually learning, but just if we're gated by me having to come up with the ideas or to to figure out the solutions, then it's going to be really suboptimal. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think that like sometimes people in leadership positions don't actually, you know, they fear that you've got somebody who's like, this person knows so much more than me. Is that going to make me look bad? You know, but I think it's, you know, it's clear that that's a bad I path. I, I think it's easier. It should be easier in marketing because of that kind of like coalition of experts sort of things is that, um, you know, I need to know enough about the areas and be able to be, able to work with the team to come up with a clear strategy that's right for the business. But then it makes sense for um, the teams to go really deep in expertise yeah. and ownership and to make that magic happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often think about with kind of marketing science or business intelligence teams. I, I could not, you know, I can't do the job, but I can sit in a room and have a conversation and understand what they're talking about, which is, you know, which is, I'm really proud of myself. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> good progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I couldn't always, but uh, you know, I think that's important to be able to know, you know, what you don't know, and and letting those the experts do their thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I do, and I love being on that journey and learning. Um, yeah, and I am naturally curious around that stuff, and I do like. I think for me too, it's like the, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but I lo- I do it because I love marketing, um, and I'm really interested in. In, in learning from teams and doing different things. And um, it's been, one, I think one of the really interesting things too in going from Indeed to Miro is just like every business is I think informed in like a time and place and era. And like, you know, I've, I've moved to a business that just comes 10 years later. And so it's uh, with that, it's just so much is different and different approaches. And it is like, all the ways that the world has changed is so fascinating and to see. And so it is one of the, it, it, it just is incredible to, to, to get that experience and to have gone through, I think, wave after wave after wave of change and technology and platforms and industry and approaches and beliefs, and to just be able to keep learning and evolving in that way. But I, you know, it is amazing what, you know, I love the team that we have and um, what people are able to do and just, you know, learning every day from them. And how do you keep on top then of your kind of, I guess, of that like new technology learning, you know, have you kind of got go to places or times that you kind of go, I need to dig deep into these things? I'm on, um, on new technologies. I don't know that. I mean, I think that at this point in time, um, my main thing is I've got is making sure I have people who really understand the problems that need to be solved and have the sophistication and experience to, to solve them. And so like we were over the last week was, was evaluating a pretty big technology investment. I think in general, I come with a skepticism towards tools, which is, which is healthy and that I just yeah. don't want an overly complex ecosystem of stuff that needs to get managed and synchronized. And so look for kind of platform simplicity in a lot of the things that we do. But for me, it's like, um, it, I, I just, it just starts with understanding the strategic approach. So this team and looking at the set of tools, you know, had gone to like eight other companies that have a similar problem that we do and that probably every other business does that are superstar companies. They've looked at all the ways that they solved that and had gathered all of that information. Like that helped us narrow the choices. 
like it, it's like a clear strategy and an understanding of what others are doing and, and you know a solution to the problem that makes a lot of sense and that's it's easy to make those sorts of investments but they drive that not not me i think the thing that i bring is some experience and maybe a framework for making those decisions. Um, but, you know, my job is to support them and solving the problems that they need to solve for us to do great things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting. I, I remember talking to some people before about this and, and they said, actually, I, I'm looking for the team to bring that stuff to me because again, it can't be expert on everything. And you've got people in those pockets of expertise. Um, I'd love to chat a bit, Paul, about, um, I guess, other work that you admire um, kind of campaigns that you've seen or brands that you just love and think that's, that's incredible work. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think first of all, the, I don't see that much work, which is odd because I don't watch, I don't consume a lot of video media. Okay. Um, I don't really watch TV much. Um, and when I do, I don't get ads. But the uh, <laughs> so I'm 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 probably really out of data and things, or I see things that maybe cut through in um, in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, let's see what 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 comes to mind. Um, I mean, I tend to like things that have personality and like distinctiveness. Yeah. Um, you know, a great example of that but not a new one is like, I love, um, you know, I love mini and what they've done um, with that brand in terms of like just clear, consistent uh, identity, like style, voice and communication, especially in the world of cars, which is so miserable in terms of advertising and communication. um, It really stands out there. Let's see what else comes to mind. Um, like I, um, I, I think that there's like a whole category now of um, that I, I love watching of like people who are doing really innovative kind of smaller businesses that solve a problem and like break through and like um, you know creatively change our behaviors in small ways. Like one of the first examples of that I think is like Nest. Um, and, um, now but Google obviously, but like, and their thermometers, I looked at like away the, um, like the baggage company, like there's just a, a whole world of these new brands, um, like maybe, um, you know, some of the Harry's razors or dollar yeah, yeah, Club. Yeah. like there's just all of these people who are taking one problem, trying to focus on having a great product, having really clear communications around that, doing interesting things often on the brand side or the e-commerce side or community and evangelism about what they're doing. And I think that that work is um, is often really uh, high quality and special. I need to probably think more through it, but but um, but it does does seem effective. Like like I, I I have a lot of admiration for people who go into incredibly crowded old categories yeah. and with a product that is, is not necessarily that different or special, but are able to um, be, be really clear around the messaging and positioning and, um, and to, to build a real powerful business out of that. Yeah. Kind of and disrupt the, you know, whether, and sometimes not often the model, although there tends to be a bit of that, but sometimes it's just disrupt the communications. Cause commu- as you say, in the car category, it tends to be, you know, car drives down leafy road, you know, like yeah. we've seen it a thousand times. So how do you yeah. disrupt that? Com- like 
typical communications? Oh, boring. I do. I would say that um, like one brand that's gone like 180 degrees for me is Amazon. Um, and Amazon, I think historically has done just, I mean, really boring, basic communications, um, has been obviously incredibly strong as a business and operational model. And, um, I love their kind of new creative creativity and communications in particular, a lot of the Alexa work, I think is really, really strong and varied and a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I I think that's a great example of, of, of new work I love. It's nice, to, yeah. It's nice to see humor and fun coming back into advertising. I think we all felt the last two years we weren't allowed, you know, and right, rightly so at moments. But it feels yeah. that it's, uh, you know, and maybe it's just culturally that that's what everyone's ready for. You know, we're ready for a bit more lightness. It was, I think it's interesting reading, you know, Orlando Woods' work on kind of the historical advertising and how we're more kind of. The left brain, right brain, depending on what time, you know, what's going on in, in society. And um, yeah, find that fascinating. And um, we're nearly at time, Paul. I would love to kind of end with um, any advice. You've given lots through this, but kind of, you know, tips for people in, in their marketing career, uh, whether they're starting out or, or me in it. And, um, you know, as you think about being successful as a marketeer, what tips would you give to people? I, that I think there's um, there's like a uh, there's a Steve Jobs quote um, from I think the time I was at Apple or right around then that like that that it's something to do with like kind of there's this magic in in realizing that kind of everything in the world around you is created by people who are no smarter than you are. And that you you have this ability to kind of push on the walls in every direction and shape things and move things. And I I, I for sure have felt that and experienced in my life. And I think that um, like I do wish that everyone could kind of see and feel that. And I see just so much opportunities, even in like the teams I work with, like um, to think bigger around how we shape the world around us and change the way that people think about problems or do things and how mobile and fluid the world around us is and able to be shaped. And so I think as a marketer, um, it's, it's, there is this incredible opportunity and power to drive change in the world uh, and um, I want, I guess if, if the earlier in your career you understand like how much you can do and how much you can change um, and are willing to, I think, take bigger bets and try bigger things um, uh, and know that over time doing things consistently drives much more change than you probably think is possible. Uh, you know, it's, I think, a really powerful starting point to, to, to have a really rewarding life and career. Yeah, yeah. Big, big bets, I think, is, yeah, that's a good, good piece of advice. Um, well, listen, Paul, thank you so much. I really appreciate you um, spending time with me today. Um, thanks very much. Yeah, it's great to be part of this. Thank you for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Paul Darcy. It's clear that Paul creates a great culture of learning from doing, all the while looking for scale. And I love his views on problems. Surround yourself with people who understand the problems and then try solve them with experiments. And through this, he's so open to being wrong and learning. Definitely a few key takeaways for me are his perspective on building a brand. It's one of the most important things you can do to drive performance. 
And finally, that you, we all have the power to drive change in the things we do in marketing. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share, add comments with your feedback and follow us on Twitter at that's underscore marketing. For me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, take care.